This is Minnesota Native News Community Health Conversations with hosts Leah Lim and Dr. Anthony Stately. Community Health Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health. Anine, hello, I'm Leah Lem. And I'm Anthony Stately. We're back with more conversations, more explorations about how healthcare in Indian country is responding and adapting beyond the COVID-19 pandemic. Miigwech and thank you for joining us today. Boozhoo, Dr. Anthony Stately. Hey, Leah, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm okay, how are you? I'm doing all right. All right. Well, today we're talking with someone you've worked closely with, Dr. Stately. Yes. Dr. Laurel Myra, a member of the Red Lake Nation, is a marriage and family therapist and was the director of behavior health at the Native American Community Clinic for many years. So she was a co-worker, a colleague of yours. Mm -hmm. She's now the director of the Mino Bimadizawin Wellness Clinic, which includes a robust pediatric mental health program. And she was recently selected to serve on the state's new equitable healthcare task force. So I'm really looking forward to talking with her later. Yeah, me too. Great. But first, as always, let's catch up a bit about where we are. Sure. As many of us can to attest to, there is a current triple threat um, COVID-19, RSV, and the flu are making their rounds throughout Minnesota and um, in many communities. Although we are seeing less cases than we did the same time last year, um, that said, COVID and flu hospitalization rates have been increasing, especially among people aged 65 and above. And as expected, children four years of age and below have had the highest rates of RSV, followed by those who are 65 years and older. And the Minnesota Department of Health recommends that schools, childcare, youth programs, and camps implement a core set of infectious disease prevention strategies as part of their normal operations and layer additional prevention strategies specific to COVID-19 to the extent possible in response to changing local situations, including periods of increased community health impacts from COVID-19. Additionally, the CDC recommends that children aged six months and older receive at least one 2023-2024 COVID-19 vaccine. The number of doses varies by age vaccine and previous COVID-19 vaccines received and whether the person has a weak immune system. For example, children aged six months through four years may need more than one dose to be up to date. And because children and youth with specialized health needs and disabilities may be at higher risk for more severe illness from COVID-19, Families and caregivers are asked to strongly consider vaccinating children who have an underlying health condition or disability if they are six months of age or older. Yes. And most recent statistics in the state, they, <clears throat> most recent statistics state there are almost 2 million total positive COVID-19 cases, including reinfections statewide. And Native Americans have the highest hospitalization rates of respiratory illnesses from COVID-19 and influenza. So it is important to stay on top of vaccinations and testing when symptoms arise. And don't forget that every home in Minnesota is still eligible to order four rapid 
at-home COVID-19 tests once a month for free while supplies last. You can order yours at the website sayyeshometest.org. All right, Dr. Stately, we had warm weather for a lot longer than we expected. I know pe- some some people were complaining, you know, where's winter? Where's winter? I, on the other hand, was okay. I was chilling. <laughs> and now I'm really chilling. So, yeah, um, we're all yeah. really chilling. It's, it's below zero today. Yep. So, you know, we had this longer fall, which might explain the delay in the increase of respiratory yes. illnesses. As the yes. chief executive officer for the Native American Community Clinic, what are you seeing? Well, we are definitely starting to see an uptick in cases. And I think that does relate mm-hmm. a lot to, um, you know, the delay in um, cold weather outside. People have been able to do things like go outside, you know, for, you know, like I'm thinking for kids in schools, they're probably able to be outdoors more longer and more out often um, for like their breaks between their classes, um, those kinds of things. People generally doing more outdoor activity. It was disappointing, I think, for some, my children included, that they didn't get to see any white stuff on Christmas Day. Um, and um, so, yes, I, I, I get that. But um, I, too, was really happy that things stayed warmer longer. I'm older, so my bones creak more frequently as it gets cold. Well, fall is my favorite month. My, it is my, sorry, it is actually my mine too. <laughs> See, that was a Freudian slip. It's my that favorite season, but usually it only lasts like a couple of weeks, maybe a month. <laughs> maybe, maybe. We, we have had it for the last couple of years, which is related to probably um, global warming. It's just the oddest seasons. Like, you know, like I think last year was like spring, like only two weeks long. Do it feel like it was only two weeks long? Oh, yeah, it was, it was winter until June, it felt like. Yeah, and then all of a sudden it was like, you know, a little bit of like, you know, spring, and then there was like heat, and that was it. <laughs> um, but, you know, so like, the, but um, that is a big thing, is like having, spending more time indoors, kind of sheltering, you know, just sheltering from the cold, you know, being in tight spaces. A lot of our relatives live in, you know, smaller um conditions they don't have big huge houses necessarily they might not you know some a lot of families double up you know um this is one of the things that i remember as a young child you know there was me and 19 other cousins and children which was a frequent thing especially around the holidays right so i think that has a lot to do with what we're seeing now which is like um the the last week of december and the first couple weeks of um January, you know, this bug kind of ripped through my home and like we all went down. Not all together, thank God, because I think that would have been worse. But like in succession. And we didn't know if it was stomach flu, if it was like flu flu, if it was, you know, I, nobody tested positive for COVID. So that was a nice plus. But you know, it just kind of went through like it wreaked havoc on our home. And I think I've heard from a lot of colleagues and also um, people coming into the clinic that, that that has also been experienced. So lots of, you know, bugs and virus in the air circulating around um, in school settings and work settings and in people's homes. So 
taking the time to do things like wash your hands and be really intentional about, you know, um, some of those preventative practices is really important. And taking a COVID test is really important um, so that you know, because I think that's a really important thing to know. The more information, the better. Yes, yes for sure. This is a rule to live by in these times, I think. So. You're listening to Minnesota Native News, Community Health Conversations. This program is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health. Find information about COVID vaccines and boosters online at mn.gov COVID-19. I want to welcome to our program today, Dr. Lavelle Myra, um, who is um, uh, both a colleague and a friend, a relative. Um, in our Indigenous ways, I have such tremendous respect for this um, young woman um, and the amazing work she does um, in our community. And so I'm really, really honored and privileged that she's here with us today. NAC has been, um, uh, you know, she'd be, before she is at our current organization where she is now, she was NAC's um, Behavioral Health Director. And she really is responsible in, for working um, at our organization and building out a lot of the really amazing programming we have currently in place that is part of a tribal health partnership with, we have with Red Lake Nation and also focused on um, creating the capacity for us to deliver um, culturally centered um, behavior health services to our people in our community. Um, I, I could not have done that without her. I, with intention, sought her out and, and recruited her. And um, she worked with us for about three years, four years, four years, four years before leaving to um, be the director for the Minomba um, Mizidawin Wellness Clinic at the Red Lake Nation building just down the road from us. So <clears throat> welcome, Dr. Myra. So well, really happy to see you today. And thank you for making time to talk to us today. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Well, congratulations on being selected as one of the 20 appointees to the state's Equitable Healthcare Task Force. Very cool. For those who don't know, the task force was established by the Minnesota legislature during the 2023 session. The goal is to examine inequities in how people experience healthcare based on race, religion, culture, sexual orientation, gender identity, age, and disability. It will identify strategies for ensuring that all Minnesotans can receive care and coverage that is respectful and ensures optimal health outcomes. Well, what did you, what made you want to participate in the initiative? Well, I've been working as a licensed marriage and family therapist um, for quite some years and um, now I'm really operating more in a uh, administrative role, um, but have not seen the disparities decrease um, or, I mean, actually things have gotten quite a bit worse um, since COVID um, with mental health outcomes, especially for children. And um, I've just really want to be part of the solution as far as looking at systemic um, changes that might help to move things along. Um, I was on the Health Equity Council um, for four years uh, when that first started as well. And um, 
and just looking forward to kind of helping in that way again and um, hopefully to see some uh, advancement here in healthcare. Can you tell me a bit more about the Minobimadizawin Wellness Clinic? No, just just some housekeeping details. Where is it? Um, things like that. Yeah, so it is a Red Lake owned and operated property. Um, so it is a development that has 110 um, apartment units on site. Um, we also have our Red Lake Embassy on site. Um, and then I oversee the wellness clinic Um portion, which is on the first floor of um, the development. Um, we have childcare. We have, um, as I mentioned, the pediatric mental health program. We have, um, through our partnership with the Native American Community Clinic, um, we have an intensive outpatient treatment program um, as well. And um, we are also doing some housing support services. So we support uh, 24 units um, on site that uh, with mental health targeted case management, uh, housing case management, um, we have cultural coordinators, um, mental health therapy, and we're in the process of getting a psychiatrist on boarded now um, who will be helping um, to help stabilize folks' mental health. Um, and, and, and we're dealing with uh, folks who have um, more severe mental health conditions right now. So that's our population. Great. What are some obstacles do you, that you see youth face when it comes to mental health and um, receiving care? Well, um, I can speak specifically to Native children because that is kind of our area of focus here at Minobima Dizawin Wellness Clinic. Um, we do have 98% um, Native providers and staff here. And that's um, something that I really pride myself on because having worked in the field um, for about 20 years now, um, a lot of the clients and a lot of the children that we have worked with have talked about how difficult it is um, to address their mental health issues when their provider doesn't understand um, the complexities of um, the social situations that uh, children are in today as far as um, you know historical trauma and the impacts on families um, the structural racism that children face in schools and um, and young adults face and um, going to college or finding jobs. And then um, when folks are in um, jobs, a lot of times facing uh, not only the systemic racism, racism but um, on top of that, dealing with bias from their peers and um, colleagues uh, that impact their advancement and impact um, their ability to have um, good mental health on the job. So we really see it across the the lifeline for folks and, um, you know, focusing in on the children really, um, for me, has given me a lot of hope um, to be able to see children thrive um, after having some intervention um, with Native providers who really understand them, respect their culture, and really 
care deeply and and want to see um, them have a, a thriving uh, life. So, what motivates you to? get up every day and go to work? It's a real healing environment. It's a lot of Native people here on site who have done great work in the community. It's a a real welcoming and just a feel-good environment. A lot of people say when they come on a peaceful environment, um, caring and um, kind of taking care of each other um, and dealing with a lot of the, the stressors that we have in life. You know, we have community members here who are, um, you know, coming to get help and, and starting to heal and doing some really neat work. Uh, we have some shared staff between our two organizations because we collaborate on some of our programming together and the staff that like is NAC staff, but who are placed at her organization um, or work with their team whenever they have those tribal holidays, my staff want to have the time off as well. And it is such a hard space to navigate. I'm like, really don't like that (laughs) tribal chairman today. (laughs) (laughs) But it's all good. I mean, it does. I think the, Thing, the beautiful thing I love about working with Dr. Myra and her team and with the Red Lake Nation, our partnership with them, is we are together really building this amazing, you know, unapologetically Indigenous framed um, framework for Indigenous health. I think that is um, just, you know, we, we, we practice sovereignty in our decision making in some really intentional ways like we're gonna this is what we're gonna do because it's one the right thing to do and it's also what we've been doing since the beginning of time and we really try to do a really good job of that and there is um this is one of the examples in which you know sovereignty and colonialism serve really buckheads you know they have a you know um, colonial people really like to live by their clock and their calendar so, Dr. Myra, um, curious if you can share with us about um, the experiences that um, you had at Minoba Mezidwin Wellness Clinic. Um, it was in the middle of the pandemic in which you opened. So tell us a little bit about what that experience was like, some of the obstacles you faced and how you overcame them. That's a great question. Um, We actually had a lot of logistical challenges um, in getting up and running um, in our physical space. We had a brand new building that sat without furniture for quite a while because there was a backup um, with lumber and just having the the furniture um, built and on site um, took quite a while. And then we also had challenges with um, the mandates around um, folks coming together. So we, um, some of our groups um, were online for quite a while. Um, We had most of our services virtual. So our space sat empty for quite a while for that reason as well. So um, we had... uh, When we did open, um, we did have folks wearing their masks and, um, you know, testing regularly. Um, But I would say that, um, you know, clients were ready to come back when it was time to come back. People um, started to show up and really enjoyed kind of 
coming together again. Um, I didn't necessarily anticipate that because um, there was such a positive response to people having access to online um, services and being able to connect virtually for a lot of people reduced those barriers around transportation, childcare, and a lot of the, the barrier, barriers that our clients have. Um, so, but we were able to, you know, um, maintain clients and um, continue to expand and build programming um, after the doors opened physically and people started to come on. Um, we just kept growing. Can we talk about the Indigenous Health Toolkit that you've developed? I love the idea and would really appreciate learning more about that. Can you tell us a bit about it? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I need to um, definitely mention um, Dr. Melissa Lewis, um, a, a close colleague of mine over the years. We were both uh, fellows um, within the American um, Association of Marriage and Family Therapists um, Minority Fellowship Program. So she and I were um, a couple of the, the Native um, folks who were in our cohort of about 18, I believe. Um, and we started working together. She was working in a university setting and was facing a lot of kind of racial bias and, and kind of up against structural racism and um, needed to create some training um, for uh, healthcare providers who were unfamiliar with Native um, clients. Um, so one of the things we started to do was put together um, a training for behavioral health providers that we presented at our annual association conference. And um, it was really well received, um, but we knew that there was a lot more to do. Um, so the Indigenous Health Toolkit was really in response to kind of this vast lack of understanding of Native people and Native health needs um and and really um strengths and and resiliency as well so we put together a mod a seven module training that addressed different topics um from social justice cultural humility um, and then uh, the last couple are really focused more on that provider patient relationship and um we really um, want to be able to help providers um, have some some support as well through that. So these seven modules kind of help people with that knowledge and understanding, but it also has been found um, through our own research, um, some pre and post evaluations has been found to reduce bias, um, which is something that trainings in of themselves typically do not do. So um, we really credit a lot of that to um the way in which our training is different um, from other trainings, which is that they are done with um, 
entire teams. So instead of like one person taking an online training by themselves, groups of people kind of come together and um, take these trainings. They're learning the same things, but they're also doing some activities that help to apply the learnings to themselves and their um, own understanding, but also the context or the environment that they're working in. So NAC actually partnered with uh, Dr. Myra and Dr. Lewis in the implementation, uh, uh, piloted uh, implementation of that health toolkit a few years ago. We, um, I know you did it in, a, in another location as well at the same time, or um, maybe back to back. But I think one of the things that I we found it to be very, very helpful when we did the training with our staff at NAC, we did trainings with everybody in the entire clinic. So you know, it didn't matter if you were administrator and NC patients or if you were in direct patient care, also other uh, support staff, we made sure that everybody sort of kind of got that training and it was um, impactful for our community, for our community clinic, for sure. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see what we're doing with this Indigenous Health Toolkit. It's getting a lot of attention. Um, um, we're, we're seeing people interested in it in a lot of the places that um, Dr. Myron are both doing work so at a structural level, because I think that's one of the ways we begin to reverse those, um, you know, those intractable um, health inequities for Native people, specifically around, um, you know, <clears throat> um, and their interactions with people within healthcare settings is to um, make an intervention at that level where you're actually um, working hard to um, create better understanding and give people the skills, not just the knowledge, not just the information, like they can read books, but we're trying to give them experiential um, understanding as well and um, the skill set to actually implement what they're learning with their interactions with patients. And it is a part of our pediatric mental health expansion grant that NAC and Red Link are in partnership along with our third partner in this is um, uh, Prairie Care, which is one of the largest um, um, inpatient outpatient um, mental health providers in the region. So um, our goal is to train a group of those practitioners in Prairie Care to do more culturally um, responsive mental health care than to be part of a partnership where we can deliver better care to our Native uh, children and um, adolescents in the region. So really excited about this project. I think it's going to be amazing. Yeah, thank you for highlighting that piece. I think that's... Um you know, a really exciting piece right now is that um, we're actually going to be doing another iteration of the training um, that we have worked alongside Dr. Stately and some other experts in pediatric mental health to um, to tailor the the toolkit more to to providers who are working with children and families, so uh, native, um, of course, native um, children and family. Um, but Prairie Care um, is going to be the recipient of this kind of first um, pediatric focused Indigenous Health Toolkit. Um, but as Dr. Stately said, um, we you know Children's Hospital is also interested in in getting this training. Um, we've we've also you know the state is also interested in promoting and having um, this accessible for providers and um, uh, and 
that's something that we're we're starting to look into because it is really hard to um, get presenters to kind of do all seven modules and line this up um, um, at a convenient time for the different health systems. So we really have to be thoughtful about what the next phase of this is, um, trying to um, you know, get some really good video recordings so that we can make it much more um, accessible to systems and really start to um, advance uh, and bring this kind of to the next level um, of accessibility. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Myra, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's uh, been a pleasure. You're listening to Minnesota Native News, Community Health Conversations. This program is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health. Find information about COVID vaccines and boosters online at mn.gov slash COVID-19.